Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Oh God, you know tomorrow there's a downsizing at the plant. I go for the results from the doctor. My kid is having trouble. My daughter from Timbuktu called and their divorce is... I don't... God, I love you, Lord. May God help. And we worship, but we're not worshiping God for God. We're worshiping God because we want Him to do this in our life. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that cannot be the first form of worship. Imagine you're in school. You're assigned to read a section out of the textbook. When you sit down to read, you find yourself reading the same paragraph over and over and over, and it never sinks in. Has this ever happened to you in church? Your mind wanders off. You think about other things. And before you know it, everyone is headed for the door. Although it's probably happened to all of us at some time, this kind of distractedness shouldn't become a habit for the believer. Just being present at church really means nothing. Be there to soak in the Word for fellowship and worship. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 8, with part two of our message entitled, The Stones or Me, Which Will It Be? concerned about tomorrow. What should we be doing? Number one, we should not be anxious. The Bible tells us not to be anxious over anything. Well, you don't know, Pastor Mark, what's happening in my life. I need to... No, you don't need to be anxious over this. There's no reason to be anxious. Now, we need to be wise, but not anxious. So, God is in control of everything. What, what are you worried about tomorrow? Do you think God doesn't know? Well, how can the God be controlling this whole world? Look at what's happening. Well, it's because Satan is still ruling it, but God is still overall. And nothing happening in this world is happening by accident. So relax. You're concerned about tomorrow. The God of today is great enough to take care of your problems tomorrow. Will there be any? Plenty. The Bible says there's enough for today. But there'll be more tomorrow morning. Doesn't matter. God is in control of everything. Now, the second reason, look at that verse again. The second reason Jesus comes is not just to fulfill a 500-year-old biblical prophecy that talks about the date he's coming, but the next reason is to proclaim to the whole world that he's a humble Messiah. Look, it says, it says he has salvation and he's gentle riding on a donkey. Now, if you were trying to be a royal person and make a great entrance into a city, would you ride on a borrowed donkey? No, I'd come on this huge, big, white horse with my armor and my army, and man, I'd make a statement of boldness. But Jesus comes as a person, and he says to his disciples through this once again, guys, listen, I told you before, 
that I've come to serve, not to be served. I'm not your average guy coming into town here. So I'm going to ride humbly and gently on this colt into town. He was saying and fulfilling another prophecy given to us by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, you don't have to turn them this morning, which says this, he was coming in and his kingdom would be a kingdom of peace. Peace. Let me read you the last part of it. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, if you're serving God, one of the greatest things that should be in your life is peace. Even though there's trouble, and we all have it, there's still a peace knowing he's in control. Well, I don't know where my job is tomorrow. I don't know where this is going to happen. And you didn't see the test results that just came back. And my child, and does it matter? He's in control. So he comes in and he's saying to the group of people that are there, I'm going to shun earthly power. I'm going to come in a borrowed cult. I'm going to shun earthly possessions. My kingdom is spiritual. It is not political. Back to Mark chapter 11, verse 8. Now, as he comes down this road, and he's on the little colt, what happens? It says, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. So as he's riding down this little road, on this little teeny colt, there's this tremendous excitement of spontaneity that picks up in the crowd. This dusty road. And we can envision what happened. If this is the road, the Old Testament would tell us, as we go through the Old Testament, that when a king would come, quite often, the people that were servants or whatever would take their outer cloaks and put him down. It would, today we would say they're putting out the red carpet for Jesus. In other words, he's coming and they're saying somebody special, even if he's on a colt. And they would take it off and they'd throw it down there and then the colt would walk over it and they'd pick it up and go, wow. I even served by giving my king, not the dusty road, but he, he's worth more than that. I'll just, I'll just put my coat down in there. Other people that maybe didn't have a cloak, they cut off branches. And they would just begin, and you, you can picture it, and John tells us that there, some of those were palm branches. Thus the story of Palm Sunday. Where it comes from. Now probably they came from the area of Galilee more, or, or actually Jericho more, because there weren't, there weren't a lot of palms and, in Jerusalem proper itself. But you can see as he comes, people are throwing clothes and other people are waving these branches, just cutting them off. And they're worshiping, they're worshiping this king as he comes along. It's just a neat thing as they're waving them in there and there's excitement. Just kind of feel it. Look at verse 9. What were they doing as he was coming? Well, those who went ahead and those who follow, I like this, because where Jesus should always be is in the center of our lives. So there's some before, and there's some behind, and where's Jesus? Right smack dab in the center. And he's there, what are the people doing? While those people who follow shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you say, well, Matt, that sounds familiar. Did I ever hear that before? Well, if you've ever been in church, you have. Let's turn back to the book of Psalms quickly. Keep your finger there in Mark. Psalms 118, it's a little easier to find about midway in your Old Testament. Psalm 118. And... Verse 10 goes on and it says this, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. So what happens is, 
as Jesus is riding this little colt, we actually have kind of a street choir. They're all together, and they're not only waving branches and putting their cloaks on the on the road, but they're singing and chanting a it's what we call a Hallel psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving, which is pretty common because this psalm was certainly sung during the Passover time as they looked forward to the Messiah. Let's look at Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. This is what they were singing in fulfillment. And that's why this psalm in the Old Testament is called a Messianic psalm. It speaks about our coming Savior. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So as the crowds line the road, praising God, waving palm branches, and throwing their cloaks in front of the coat, they are worshiping by singing these words, help us, save us now, which is kind of a kind of a praise, words that we might use today like hallelujah or glory to God. It was a worshipful time. They were praising the Lord. Notice back in verse 24 is that verse that we talked about earlier. We don't have time to spend on it. That says this is the day that the Lord, what day are they talking about? This day that we are experiencing some thousand years later as Jesus comes in to the city of Jerusalem. Now, let's put ourselves in the crowd. What I'm going to do is show you five groups of people. Turn back to the book of Mark, where you're at, and let's look at Mark. I want you to picture as if Jesus was actually coming down the middle of our aisle here and we're there. Which one of these five groups of people would you be worshiping? And I want you to catch it and see who you are as we go through the scriptures so you can pick out for yourself who you think you might be. Look at Mark 11, which we're studying, and look at the last verse, 11. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So at the end of this time period, the parade was over. The worship was over. There wasn't anybody there. This, I believe, represents the first group of people who worship. That's those people who are always chronically, horribly late for anything. Somebody has said to them, Jesus is on the road. And they say this, I'll get there. And when they get there, there's nobody on the road. Because Jesus has already gone to Jerusalem, looked around, knows what he's going to do the next day, and heads back to Bethany. The parade is over. Now, what do you say? What kind of worshipers are those? Those are those. And don't be embarrassed. Maybe this is your day to be here a few minutes late. We're always late. Sometimes to something, aren't we? All of us. If you happen to be late, that's okay. What I'm talking about is habitually late. See, if you show up always at five minutes to whatever, and we've already been 25 minutes in the praise, that says to me probably, you don't understand the importance of corporate worship. You see, I'm not talking about being three minutes late or five minutes late because the traffic out here is a nightmare and it's tough and sometimes you have to bring the grandma in with a wheelchair. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking habitually. You always show up just in time for the teaching. You've missed corporate worship. And corporate worship is very important. Why? The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, as we head to the last days, we should gather together of ourselves more often and more often and more often because there's strength being here together. 
If you're chronically late, maybe God has spoken to you. I'm not talking about once in a while. If you're chronically late, come join us. Because the scripture then says, as we approach the last days, Hebrews tells us, we should make sure all the more that we're together corporately in unison. Do you happen to think we're approaching the last days? You betcha. So that means we only have an hour and a half together. Let's enjoy it all, as much of it as we can together. So there would have been those people on the day that show up to the road and go, I cut my branches, but there's nobody here. It's like you that came in this morning and said, what happened? The second group of people are those who have come, they're worshiping, they're in the middle of this crowd, people are excited or whatever. They're joining in and somebody hands them, you know, they get in there and they hand them a wave and here they go. And they're doing this and then they stop and say, why am I doing this? In fact, the book of Matthew says one of the people in the crowd says, who is this Jesus? The reason they got into worship is because it's the thing to do. They're excited about it. There's a lot of joy. And they're just worshiping. Yay! Hosanna! Who is Hosanna? Psalm 18. I never read Psalm 118. What is that? And they don't have a clue. Well, that represents sometimes people who come to our services. Worship should be joyful. They like the band. They like the drums. They like the over. They can see the words. They can get into it. They like music. We like music. When, they, when we have a rapper once in a while on a Sunday night or somebody do a special, man, this is really in the music, man, I love it. They like the joy. By the way, worship should be joyful. Should be joyful. Shouldn't be out there like, ah, worship, worship. Is it over yet? See, those of you that hate worship are going to be really miserable in heaven. <laughs> I don't know how to reconcile it because the scripture says there's no tears in heaven, so I don't know what you'll do, but... You're going to be miserable. And we have a variety of music. And as we go through this, we'll show you. So this group are just going through it. They're going through some religious acts just because it's the thing to do. They don't know why they're doing it. By the way, that's not true worship. Now, I don't think we should pass this group too quickly or look down in the group because I fall into this group sometime myself. There have been times when I've been in a worship service and I even know the band does this. And I'll sit there, we go through a half hour worship, and I get up, I'm ready to give the word, and I'm ready to give the word, and it goes through my mind, you know what? You haven't worshipped for the last half hour. You've been singing, you've been clapping, might have raised your hands once or whatever, you went through it, but there was no worship. Now you don't know that, but I know it. Ever happened to you? In a service? You go, whoops. How many has it ever happened to you? Come on, be, come on. the rest of you, you're not even here yet. <laughs> Where is your mind? I mean, the football games were over last night. Where is your mind? Come in, jo join us. So we're here together. So sometimes that can be us. We go through a whole half hour and we go, last song, good. What was the first song? I don't know. I don't know where I've been. Some of you, the whole hour and a half, you know, you're on a daze like you don't know what happened. That's not the way our services should be. The third group of people are there and there's people worshiping. They're Jews. They really believe in the Messiah. They're worshiping but they're worshiping for the wrong reason. You see, most of the Jews that were there were worshiping for what they thought Jesus was going to do for them. They thought he was coming to set up a political kingdom and free them from the bondage of Rome. Save now. We're ready. Set up your kingdom. Oh, come king. We're tired of the Romans. But see, Jesus wasn't coming for what they wanted him to do. He was coming for what the Father wanted him to do. 
Now, can we ever fall into this group with worship? Oh, you betcha. Sometimes we worship, we think the best, when there's disasters in our life. Oh, God, you know tomorrow there's a downsizing at the plant. I go for the results from the doctor. My kid is having trouble. My daughter from Timbuktu called and their divorce is, I don't, God, I love you, Lord. May God help. And we worship, but we're not worshiping God for God. We're worshiping God because we want him to do this in our life. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that cannot be the first form of worship. Worshiping for that which I want God to do. See, that's selfish. It's really not true worship. It's for the wrong reason. Fourthly, we would hope there are some Jews there who are worshiping God for the right reason because of who he really was. As I said, those people that were really probably knew this were the ones who had seen Jesus do all these miracles. And no doubt there were people there, and I believe probably Lazarus was there that day, who had been raised from the dead. Now those people are there and saw him dead all those days and then be raised to life. You're not only going to raise God because of what he did for Lazarus. You're going to think, who could do that? Who, who could raise somebody from dead after all those days? That's God. So they're actually really worshiping God. And by the way, as we talk later, that's the primary purpose of worshiping God. For who he is, not what he does for us. Is there a difference? A vast difference. For who he is, talking about his character. Then the last group, turn in your Bibles from the book of Mark there, just back to the book of Luke, chapter 19. The last group we see is a very interesting group. There was another group of people watching this celebration. Well, this is where the Pharisees are. They're not in the middle with the fronds going, oh, hallelujah. They're on the side, and they're watching all this excitement, and they're getting more nervous by the moment because the popularity of Jesus is incredible. Well, what do they say to Jesus? Look at Luke 19, 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, notice how they approach him, teacher, has nothing to do with Messiah. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, the Pharisees are saying, shut them up. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That doesn't mean a lot to us. But if you've been in Israel, Israel is nothing but stones. Everywhere, there's stones. Every piece of dirt you dig up, stones, stones, stones. Now, Jesus says, if people won't worship me, then the stones will cry out in worship. Do you believe God could cause a stone to cry out in worship? Sure he could. I mean, if he had a donkey talk earlier, he can cause a stone to do it, can he? He can do it. I mean, look at your life. Look what he's done in your life. It's been impossible, hasn't it? Some of you are like stones out there. You know who are stones in this case? The Pharisees. Lumps on a log. Sitting there, not involved in the worship at all. And he's trying to challenge them, really, because their hearts were hard. When you come with a hardened heart, your worship is useless. So Jesus says to these guys, uh-uh. If I have to, the stones will cry out. And if you'd been in Israel, like I said, to hear all those stones cry out, what a choir that would have been. Now, where do you fit in? We've given you five groups of people. 
people that are chronically just miss the worship or miss everything else because you're always an hour late to something? Is that you? You don't want to be late to the rapture. Change it now. Change it now. The next group are people that are here and they're going through the things, but they really don't have a clue. It's good you're here. You're a seeker. That's wonderful. And it is going to be strange to some of you. We'll talk more about that later. Just keep coming. God will change your heart. Others are here and we've come this morning because we have a big need. And that's the only reason I've really come. Well, God knows that, but remember, you're not interested really in the God that can meet your need. You're interested in the God who is great. Some of us are here, and we worship for the right reason, because of the greatness of God. And then maybe you're a skeptic here. You totally came because you had to, because your wife or cousin or son or somebody, and you don't want to be here. God can soften your heart. If he can cause a stone to cry out, he can soften your heart. Now, let's go turn over in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Everybody is a worshiper. Some of you might say this morning, well, I'm not a worshiper. I don't worship at all. I don't know what you're even talking about. Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're turning to Romans 125. Let me just tell you what Ecclesiastes 3 says. God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So what that verse says is from Solomon, God has put eternity in every single person's heart. So that means you're a worshiper. You will worship someone or something. You cannot get away from it. God has put within you the requirement to be a worshiper. Now Satan knew that. Satan was a worshiper of God originally. Did you know that in heavens? He was the choir leader. He was the worshiper until he said, I will be God. And he then substituted worshiping God for worshiping self. That's exactly what we see in Romans 125. Let's read it together. And Paul is talking about these people who have given up on God and turned to their own ways. He said, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So Satan blinds our eyes often to what true worship is. And I find myself worshiping things, my possessions, my job, money, my children, even the church. Many of the colleges you'll go and you'll find that professors are worshiping one thing, their intelligence. Not God, their intelligence. And God says they've been blinded. They've removed that which should be worshipped. And if you go all over our world, in fact, we're finding more and more and more of it in the United States. Some people today and this weekend will sit down to a little idol. And they'll worship an idol made with hands instead of the God of the Creator. Timothy says this, in the latter days, and we're in the latter days, people will be lovers of self rather than lovers of of God. And that's exactly where we are today. We're a worshiper of God. We're not a worshiper of buildings. We're a worshiper of the Creator, who is God. Pastor Mark, in taking us through the story of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, focused on five different types of worshipers. From those who are chronically laid to those who were distracted, we heard how our worship speaks to how much worth we put on our Creator. On the other side, we heard some aspects of true worship, which is centered on the greatness of God 
and His spiritual and material blessings to us. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we continue to focus on the true purpose of worship and how we can become true worshipers of the living God. We will address the failings that often occur in our attempts to worship Him and how our lives can be a true reflection of our devotion to God, how we see Him, our response to Him, and the effect we have on others in our worship will all be addressed. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.